If today were a science fiction movie, you'd be shaking your head at the news. Today, Huxley reads like a prophecy. Orwell's saying, I told you so's from the grave. And the ghost of Ayn Rand weeps in the dark. None of it makes any sense. Well, the people have had it. Now, before you reach for revolution, take a deep breath and put in a few moments identifying fact from science fiction. And for that clarity, you need the truth. You need TNN, the Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. I hope the first part of your week, well, especially Christmas Day, but then the day after where we really get busy getting everything in place so that when we get back to normal, which is going to be next Tuesday or maybe Wednesday because Monday's another holiday, New Year's Day, we've got to get all our stuff settled and resolved Things like really important stuff, getting Christmas decorations down and packed away and put up in storage until next year and going and exchanging gifts that you don't want to offend anybody by not wearing what they gave you for Christmas. So you just quietly go exchange it. All those very important things. Well, every day is important and we want to help you make the best of it. We give you information, facts on which you can make some decisions. And, you know, we've got all the usual things that are in an uproar. Everything in Washington, D.C., it stays in an uproar. And then we have this horrible war continuing over in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, and then there's Ukraine and Russia, and then China is flexing its muscles to go after Taiwan. We just don't know where to go and what to concentrate on give most of our attention to, why don't we do this? Why don't we take care of business at home? Let's do everything that's important to us. Look, if we don't get the United States in a great condition where we've got affordable things that we can afford to buy again, thanks to Joe Biden and his egregious economic policies, everything is so much more expensive And that means a shortage of many essentials. I know maybe they aren't essential if you live in a third world country, but we don't. We're accustomed because of true capitalism and because of our ability to manufacture and provide the goods through the manufacturing. And then, of course, the services that Americans need here and want here, we've been able to, for generations, be able to almost be totally self-sufficient, and all of that's gone. We can't even provide ourselves the things that we've always been able to provide. You know why that is? We gave away manufacturing. You get everything done cheaper over in Southeast Asia. It's not just China. All the Southeast Asian companies are making things and selling things far cheaper than we can even manufacture. Let me give you one little example that just popped into my head. A couple of years ago, I spent some time in in, uh, Malaysia and just happened to look into walking down the street, a friend of mine and I, and he talked about the manufacturing sector and how it's gone absolutely crazy over there. And one thing that he pointed out were sinks, metal sinks that go in your kitchen and your bathroom. 
Do you know almost all of the sinks, the metal sinks in the United States come from Malaysia? And I ask him, just a regular old sink, you know, where you've got the faucets and the drain at the bottom, nothing really fancy. What does it cost to manufacture one of those in Malaysia? You know what he told me? Ten cents. That includes the material and the labor to manufacture a sink. I have no idea what it would cost to do them here because obviously we're not making them here. And if it's a sink that falls into that category, how many other things that we use do you think we're getting robbed? Now, what does that mean? We're getting robbed, Dan. It's got to be cheaper. Well, that means everything's cheaper. That means it's probably not as good. But there's a big, big part of that that doesn't ring true. And I want to get into, in fact, top of the show, first story we're going to talk about is U.S. tariffs. Most Americans don't understand the purpose for tariffs, how they work, who gets the benefit, and which is good and which is bad. And we have much, much more to get into today. We got to get our 2024 hat on, get ready to go, because we're going to have to hit the ground running if we're going to have a big positive year in the United States. And that means, guess what? We got to have facts that we can use to get our decision-making hats on and do the right things because we made the right decisions based on facts. Got a lot more on the table. We're going to get started right after this. I want a sunrise with nothing in the way Waking up in a weed field on a broken old two-leg to a dirt road and a mailbox with my last name I want to step off my back porch and walk down to the lake
Interesting song to start with today, American Dream. Man, we've got them, don't we? We've always, in my lifetime, we've always been able to dream big. And that meant because of how our nation was founded, they made sure that everybody has an equal access to anything and everything they need to do what it is to fulfill their American dream. Now, a lot of people have taken that out of context, and actually, they have... uh, lied about it. Equality is one thing. In fact, those on the left are now demanding that we give equality in every way to everybody. Well, the Declaration of Independence, it says, you know, equality. Everybody gets this same stuff. No, it doesn't say that. We are all guaranteed that we will have equal rights to do and get and to not do according to what we want, of course, within the laws. Manipulation is one thing that is just ripping this nation apart. We're going to even get into some things about women's hygiene products in men's bathrooms It's now a law in Canada. That's just one example of how this whole equal, equality, equity has just gone through the roof. And it starts at the top when in the American dream, the way this was all created and began and has been working pretty darn successfully for 260 years, it begins at the bottom If the bottom, and when I say the bottom, I'm talking about economic bottom. If it is successful there so that people that really try hard can make it without getting on charity for everything. If they can do that across the board, that's a great foundation on which to make a country work. That's what this country was founded as. And it's been that way for several hundred years, and it's worked. Capitalism has fed it, kept it going, but typically what happens, remember that that scripture, the love of money is the root of all evil. And when you start with that as your philosophy, you're going to get off track very, very quickly, and it changes everything. And that's what we are experiencing today. The results of the manipulation of our government, of our principles, of all of the things through the years that have made us the great nation that we are, and they're being torn to shreds by people wanting to seize power over everything and all of us. So we're going to wait a few minutes before we get into the tariff thing. I want everybody that's a regular here to get involved in this conversation because it's critical, especially an election year, because this is one of the things that are going to be preached to us all, talking about tariffs. You and I 
we all need to understand it and have clear vision when it comes time for us to pick who we're going to elect at every level. Every level of government we're all going to be involved in in November. Just thought I'd throw something in before we get going about our president. You know, with all the conversation out there about Donald Trump and being kicked off state ballots, Colorado really opened the door when they uh, kicked him off the Colorado ballot. Can't even be on the ballot. And I'm not talking about in this conversation about what that means, taking the will of the people away from a bunch of people in Colorado that would vote for President Trump to be reelected. Not talking about that. I'm talking about the process, the government process, the people at the top, the power seekers. This is something that happens around the world, kicking candidates off of ballots. That's not supposed to happen in a free world. It's not supposed to happen in a representative republic. But you know what? Joe Biden's got some history about this. The Biden administration has enacted or threatened to put sanctions against foreign nations for doing just that, kicking opposition candidates off of a ballot for an election. Biden's been crazy angry about it. That's made some lawmakers question the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling to remove Donald Trump from the state's 2024 election ballot. And you know the story. They voted 4-3 on Tuesday last week to remove Trump from the state 2024 election ballots. They've decided he's disqualified to run for office under the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban. Although, I thought in the United States regarding anything that somebody makes a charge against you for breaking laws, you're innocent unless and until you've been proven guilty. Donald Trump hasn't even been charged with the charge that the Colorado Supreme Court used to make that 4-3 decision to kick him off the ballot. He's not even charged for insurrection, yet alone convicted of it. The Biden administration previously used sanctions in retaliation against other nations who engaged in stifling political competition and doing so by removing the opponents that don't like the sitting government, just take them off the ballot. The U.S. put sanctions on other countries for doing exactly what the Colorado Supreme Court did. Marco Rubio, Florida senator, reminded us of that. We'd threaten sanctions against the countries that had their courts exclude a challenger to protect the incumbent. Venezuela, socialist dictatorship down in Central America. We sanctioned them for undemocratic practices. Now, Am I saying that's wrong? Absolutely not. We need to do what is necessary to make sure every election in the free world gives the citizens of whatever country it's happening in the unfettered right to vote for who they want to put in government and govern them. The Biden administration started to lift some of those sanctions in October if, here we go, you know where this is going, money. If Venezuela agreed to certain conditions, 
That include a commitment to hold a fair election in 2024 and allow dictator Nicolas Maduro's political opponents to show up on the ballot. Quote, failure to abide by the terms of the agreement will lead the United States to reconsider steps we have taken, including the easing of sanctions. That came from the Biden administration. However, less than a month after agreeing to the Biden administration's terms, Venezuelan's court suspended the results of his political opposition leader's primary election victory results. The suspension was handed down by Venezuela's top court, like our Supreme Court. It ruled the opposition leader must be investigated for alleged identity theft, money laundering, and conspiracy. So, Joe Biden and company, they're continuing to push Venezuela toward holding free elections next year. Biden folks maintain the warning that it will take measures including reimposing sanctions if Maduro's government does not hold to its word. However, no sanctions have thus far been reimposed. I wonder why that is. What did I tell you? That scripture I quoted a few minutes ago, the love of Money is the root of all evil. Well, money, the United States and Venezuela, how does that all fit together? Guess what? Joe Biden, he pulled the switch and we're buying oil from Venezuela that the United States couldn't buy when Donald Trump was in office. So we're buying oil from a dictator who has no respect and I'm not just saying in his thinking, in his legislation, the way he treats people in his own nation. No respect for them whatsoever. No respect for the rule of law. And no respect for democracy. But we're getting all from him, so it's okay to look past that. Nicaragua, a nation under dictatorship in Central America as well, had its government hit with sanctions from the Biden folks in 2021. The administration explained they were imposing sanctions against Nicaragua because of its 2021 sham election as the country's government removed most of incumbent President Daniel Ortega's political opponents wouldn't put them on the ballot. Only five of those opponents were on the ballot that year, all of who were not well-known, had little chance of winning. Seven of Ortega's other political opponents were not allowed to appear on the ballot after being unjustly arrested prior to elections. That ensured a rigged outcome well before Election Day. The Biden administration pointed to the government's groundless misuse of Nicaragua's law. It's called number 1055. I have no idea what that means other than it's just a number. That law bans anyone deemed a traitor by the country's government can't run for public office. Kind of like what the Biden administration's other countries, and uh, other nation, uh, other states I'm talking about, just not just Colorado, but just allowing. Hey, if you want to go do that, go do that. The Ortega regime is using laws and institutions to detain members of the political opposition and to stop Nicaraguans from the right to vote. Belarus, a country in Eastern Europe, is another one. Close ties to Russia. It got hit with sanctions by the Trump administration 
over concerns the country held fraudulent elections that year, 2020, when they barred political opponents from the ballot, falsifying voting records. The Biden administration upheld these sanctions, castigated Belarus in a June 21 statement for holding illegitimate elections by preventing multiple opposition candidates from appearing on the ballot and restrictions on the ability of the opposition to even campaign. The U.S. and its partners will not tolerate continued attacks on democracy and the ceaseless repression of independent voices in Belarus. Today's actions taken on both sides of the Atlantic hold accountable those who continue to suppress the democratic aspirations of the Belarusian people. A number of lawmakers and legal experts denounced the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling as unconstitutional. Trump campaign immediately disputed the court's ruling, said it would quickly move to appeal. Though he wouldn't comment on the Colorado Supreme Court's Tuesday ruling, Joe Biden did tell reporters last Wednesday, there's, and I'm quoting the president here, there's no question Trump incited an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Well, I think certain things are self-evident. You saw it all, Biden said. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. No question about it. None. Zero. There is no evidence. There was no evidence. Even their own guy, their own crucifier, Jack Smith, the special counsel, He didn't charge Donald Trump with insurrection. And you know darn sure if there was even a hint of insurrection that could be verified in a court of law, Jack would have gone there. Certainly would have gone there. We're not going towards a Central American demagoguery country and government. We're not going there. We are there today. In just a little bit, you're going to hear a story that's not about these sanctions. Cheryl Atkinson is going to bring you a story that talks about how evil and how much censorship of our First Amendment rights across the board in the United States really are being trampled on by the Biden administration. And many experts, far more educated and knowledgeable than I am, have said through generations, if we don't have the First Amendment, we don't have a country. That's how critical the right to be able to speak your mind, express your ideas, even if they are offensive to some, you still have the right to express it. And if the government, which ours is, it's documented, there's no question about it. For the last six years especially, our government has taken over control of what you and I can say in a public forum. And of course it begins with social media and news. They're just taking our First Amendment rights away from us. And they're they're saying it's okay to do because free speech is a threat. Because some people, when they 
exercise their free First Amendment rights, they say things that offend other people. Oh, my gosh. So now we have thought police. We're going to have a federal thought police organization. And it'll probably be run somewhere below the FBI where they perfected the process of destroying Americans' First Amendment rights. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. But we've got to. If we don't, we're going to lose it, and we wouldn't even know that we lost it. Again, thanks for being here today. I opened the show by talking to you about tariffs, U.S. tariffs, and how vague it seems to be when you get into a conversation about what that entails and how critical tariffs, assessing tariffs, removing tariffs are in our economics in the United States and how it's being horribly used by the Biden administration. For what? Money, money, money. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. Believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. (laughs) Movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute. It's stupid. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. Language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Saying it out loud. No spin. Only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. So I'm not going to bore you with a lot of details, but this is 2024. We're just a couple of days away from starting a brand new year. And this year, 2024, that's upcoming, it's hard to believe. That's one thing that always kind of grates against my nerves. Every Christmas, just knowing that seven days from that day, we're going to be in a new year. Makes you feel old. But it's a great time to kind of reshuffle your thinking and maybe reset some of the things that you've put in your in your life. You put them in place the previous year. And I think Americans need to kind of reestablish, not everybody, but many of us, our ideals and our ideas of the functioning, the economic functioning 
of the federal government as it pertains to the rule of law. We are now in a situation under this president and this administration where pure freedom, pure rights to American to function and operate their home, their homes, their businesses, their personal lives belongs exclusively to those Americans, including economics. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is a messenger from the far, far left, which is, it's time for you stupid Americans to quit doing things that you have no business doing. Now, what might they be? It doesn't really matter. You don't need to know it today, and there's no worry for you unless and until we come to you and tell you, here's what you're doing, and we're going to stop it as a government. Is that kind of extreme? Well, I probably took it to the edge because I wanted to get your attention. This is exactly where we're going. When the government gets to the money issue and the government is who totally controls it and they say they're doing it for the betterment of our lives, mine and yours. Well, I don't agree with you. You don't have that right anymore. We're going to take it and We know more than you do, and we can do more because we're bigger and we're taking your money from you. So just sit down and be quiet, and you're going to be fine. And so we segue over to the tariff conversation. Why am I doing that? Joe Biden's trade office is very publicly now helping China avoid U.S. tariffs, and they're doing it again. Now, what does all that mean? I'm going to explain this to you right now because it's it's critical for every American to understand. Right now, today, hundreds of China-made products will continue avoiding United States tariffs thanks to an extension that was announced by President Joe Biden and his office of the U.S. Trade Representative. It's Section 201 tariffs. Now, what are tariffs, Dan? Okay. Let me explain it to you the simple way. And this way you can grab it at a much higher level because it applies the same way across every economic category. You remember back in the old days, if you were born sometime in the 50s, conversations were, you know, we had just defeated over in the Pacific, Japan. They were flooding the marketplace, marketplaces around the world, countries around the world with cheap, items that look good, but they weren't of quality material, and they were therefore much, much cheaper. Well, what happens when we import things from other countries instead of using things that are manufactured here? Well, my goodness, if you can buy a television over in China for $100, but it pays, it costs, if you buy the same television in the United States, $300, which one are you going to buy? Well, you're going to buy the $100 one that was made in China. We don't know what's in it. We don't know who built it. We don't know what regulations that it has built within it. We really don't know anything except the price. So years ago, this was a way because not only if you buy that television from China instead of the United States, that means we're not building that particular television here, which means 
you who bought that television, you bought a television that came from China, that meant somebody in the United States is not making that television. So there's a whole manufacturing operation or sector that's getting kicked to the curb because we're buying stuff that wasn't made here. That means an American didn't get paid to build it. The manufacturing plant wasn't there to build it, which meant many other people aren't working. And so how can we stop this from happening? The government simply puts tariffs on it so that the same items and goods cost the same when they get to the table here in the United States. That, it means, it's got a tariff put on it. There's a penalty. They pay more. You've got the cost that whoever's importing it from over in China here, the raw cost, but then they also have to pay a little bit more for it, and that's the tariff that stays in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative. That's the way tariffs work. There's Section 301 tariffs. Billions of dollars worth of China-made products, and this is just one company, one country, I mean, were first imposed by former President Trump after a decades-long free trade consensus in Washington, D.C. That eliminated 4 million American jobs from our economy from 2001 to 2018. You see, that's the direct effect. You may save a dime or even a couple of bucks or maybe more than that by buying one of those items that was manufactured overseas and they build it cheaper over there and they sell it cheaper over here. That's why you buy it instead of buying it in the United States. Nothing comes free, folks. It costs somebody. Everything does. Tuesday, yesterday, Biden's USTR Catherine Tai announced that her office will extend tariff exclusions for more than 350 China-made products, 77 COVID-19-related categories. The tariff exclusions, a boon to China, have continuously been extended by Biden's administration since March of 2022. Those products made in China that will escape U.S. tariffs now, thanks to Joe, include, there are thousands of them, but breast pumps, solar water heaters, garage door openers, x-ray tables, thermostats, as well as food products from China like crab meat, Dungeness crab, and Alaskan sole fish. So while Biden kept such tariff exclusions for China, you get that, don't you? Biden keeps the tariff exclusions for China. Why would he choose China to let off so they don't have to pay what everybody else is paying? While that's going on, a growing bipartisan coalition of both Republican and Democrat lawmakers, they're screaming at the administration to revoke U.S. free trade relations with China. Earlier this month, the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party issued its report which recommends ending China's permanent normal trade relations. That's a status that every country overseas wants. It was first approved by Congress with China back in 01, backed by then-President George W. Bush. 
We acknowledge that granting the PRC PNTR, that's the tariff program, did not lead to the benefits expected for the United States, nor did it lead to the structural reforms in the PRC that Congress expected. A study from, they have these long names for these groups, Coalition for a Prosperous America, CPA. It was published in September. It shows that ending U.S. free trade with China would create 2 million American jobs and grow the nation's economy by nearly 2%. But there's another study, another one. This one from 2022 similarly found that imposing our tariffs on all foreign imports, in other words, everything's going to cost the same. We're not going to buy it from China because it's cheaper. If we continue to do that, we're going to keep people that won't have jobs. This study shows that if we do that, we would create 10 million American jobs, 3 million of which would be high-paying manufacturing jobs, while 6.9 million would be jobs in supporting our industries. So it's not just one specific niche, like the person at the television store that sells that television. We would see our manufacturing come back. It would come back, which means more corporations, more building of related building and assembly lines and all of those things that are necessary to manufacture Instead of it all going to China and the workers over there getting paid for doing all that work, it comes home. Capitalism opens that door, and it not only opens the door to allow it, it makes it happen for everybody. Why would Joe only do this right now for Venezuela and China. There's quid pro quo there. Hmm. Quid pro quo. I wonder where that quid pro quo and how it extends out. Oh, let's just pick one sector of American life. How about in politics? Think that through. Yesterday, big news coming out about the Biden Department of Justice. I know this will, you won't believe this. This is impossible even except for anybody that Joe Biden's Department of Justice would have actually got one of its own prosecutors. Remember Leslie Wolf? Leslie was the one who did and controlled that deep investigation into Hunter Biden's wrongdoing. The DOJ prevented that prosecutor from discussing the details about that investigation and specifically about David Weiss's authority. That's the Delaware prosecuting attorney there that was over all of that. And a conversation came up that there was a little fishiness going on there. 
the scope of top Hunter Biden prosecutor David Weiss's authority. By the way, he's now a special prosecutor looking into all of the Hunter Biden issues. The scope of that prosecutor, David Weiss, was off limits for his former staffer when she testified before Congress. Now, that's what he stepped into her spot and he's doing, but she was told you can't do that. Former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Delaware, Leslie Wolf, testified last week before the House Judiciary Committee, didn't have permission to discuss the details of Weiss's charging authority on the Hunter Biden case, according to a transcript that was reviewed by several news agencies. Okay, with respect to the Hunter case, Stuart Goldberg testified that even though Weiss has said he has ultimate charging authority, that the tax division still was required to approve any tax charges. Was that your understanding? That was a question that was asked of Leslie Wolf, And she said, I'm not authorized to speak on the particulars of any ongoing matter. Have we heard that once or twice before? And the response from the committee member, okay, so you're not authorized to speak on David Weiss's charging authority. I mean, that's been one of the areas that the Justice Department has allowed witnesses to address. It's my understanding that because you have heard directly from others on this issue who are in a far better position than I am to speak on the actual scope of his authority, that I am not authorized to speak about that. That's Wolf. So you're not authorized to speak on Weiss's authority? That's correct, she said. And then she went on to give a generalized description of what she believed Weiss's authority to be without going into detail. She said this, it was always my understanding without the particulars was that U.S. Attorney Weiss would have the necessary authority to bring charges that he believed were appropriate to bring in any jurisdiction that he felt it was appropriate to bring said charges in. She didn't answer specific questions about the case she worked on where DOG tax authority might have been an issue. She instead spoke vaguely about the tax division's general approval processes and referred to the criminal tax division manual. So acting Deputy Assistant Attorney General for the DOJ Tax Division, a guy named Stuart Goldberg, testified before the same Judiciary Committee in October, and he said in that testimony, DOJ Tax Division has approval authority over Weiss's investigative steps, and any potential charges he decides to level against Hunter, according to a transcript reviewed. Goldberg talked about the DOJ's own manual and their own regulations, outlining the scope of the DOJ Tax Division's authority. Guidelines still apply even with Weiss's special counsel status. Weiss confer- and I know this get, you're 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 losing your concentration. But you've got to understand there are so moving parts in this whole Biden family syndicate deal. They want there to be mass confusion among the American people. And so they purposely have woven this web of misinformation and keeping everything up in the air and nobody being totally comfortable 
by reaching any conclusion on anything. David Weiss told everybody, bragged about it. He had ultimate authority to make a decision on anything anywhere in the nation as it pertains to Hunter Biden. And then when he got called on the carpet for it, he says, oh, no, 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 that's not so. And now it's in question again. Weiss confirmed the DOJ tax division authority. And the reason this is such a big deal, if Weiss did have that ultimate authority, he later lied about it multiple times. And when the FBI whistleblowers testified and everybody on the left was saying they lied, he agreed with what everybody on the left said. Instead of confirming what he had said, in numerous meetings with numerous people in the Department of Justice. Weiss is the Delaware U.S. attorney. He defended Wolf and his entire team on the Hunter Biden case during his testimony. And by the way, Wolf is no longer employed by the DOJ and left her position a couple of weeks before she testified. Wonder what happened there. And I wonder if she will be available to Judiciary Committee for discussions about her leaving. IRS whistleblowers Gary Shapley, Joseph Ziegler, they accused her and a couple of other DOJ officials of giving Hunter special treatment throughout that ongoing criminal investigation into the first son centered around his taxes Witness testimony from the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS confirmed the key allegations first brought forward by the whistleblowers. The other witness, witnesses, including Weiss himself, were permitted to describe how they perceived Weiss's charging authority and the DOJ's tax division's ability to approve his decisions. One major allegation provided by Shapley was that Weiss stated at an October 7, 2022 meeting, the DOJ rejected a request from him for special counsel authority and instructed him to follow the process. Shapley's attorneys released an email Shapley sent and handwritten notes documenting his account of the October 7, 2022 meeting. Weiss confirmed DOJ officials rejected his request for special attorney authority under Section 515 in the spring of 22 and told him to follow the process instead. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan told reporters Weiss's testimony it vindicated the IRS whistleblowers and confirmed Shapley's accusation. On top of all of that, Weiss confirmed President Biden appointed U.S. Attorneys for the D.C. Matthew Graves in the Central District of California, E. Martin Estrada, did not cooperate on the Hunter Biden case. Graves' choice resulted in the statute of limitations expiring for those alleged tax-related offenses committed by Hunter in the uh, 2014-15 tax years. Graves and Estrada, he's the, the prosecutor, federal prosecutor out in California, They both testified separately before the Judiciary Committee in the House and both said they did not partner with Weiss on the case. Graves 
and Estrada's conduct was first highlighted by the whistleblowers. The IRS agents testified to the House Ways and Means Committee that Hunter's alleged tax crimes in those two years, 2014-2015, were tied to income he got from Burisma, the Ukrainian energy firm. We'll face some other questions in relation to Weiss's ability to charge outside of his jurisdiction and that Section 515 request he made in 2022. She repeatedly declined to answer those specific questions. And she told the questioners, you got to go talk to Weiss about that. I don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Are we ever going to get to anything that we can rely on as being accurate and honest coming from anybody in this administration and even people that were previously in the Obama-Biden administration. Everybody is doing the Sergeant Clink thing. I know nothing. I know nothing. Meanwhile, what's Uncle Joe doing? Well, he is doing what a real authoritarian slash dictator that everybody on the left wants to paint Donald Trump as that Donald Trump wants to be a dictator and he ruled the nation in his first term on an authoritarian basis. One thing they can't say about Joe Biden is Joe Biden, he honors the law. He honors the rule of law in every way like he did when he got popped by the United States Supreme Court about getting up there and telling all those college debt holders, I'm going to erase it all away. Goes all the way up to Supreme Court. Basically, they said, I can see them sitting around in their lodge, whatever they, wherever the Supreme Court justices go hang out during when they are uh, deliberating, talking to each other about all the cases before them. Had a beer or two maybe and They said, what about Joe coming out there and saying he has that authority? He doesn't have that authority, does it? And so they said, nope, he can't do that. That belongs to Congress. Congress controls taxpayer money. No president can do that. Well, a dictator or an authoritarian can do that and will do that, right? Yeah, that would be like if Donald Trump was in office. And then Joe Biden, what did he do two weeks ago? I, uh, I went to the Supreme Court my, to eliminate student debt that was out there. And guess what? <laughs> Supreme Court ruled against, but I still got 136 million people's debt relieved. Dana, what's he talking about? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they're <laughs> counting up the numbers. I mean, this is the problem of trying to buy votes. Okay, so he overpromised and he underdelivered. The Supreme Court said, you can't do this. He said, right, okay, got it. And then the left went nuts, and he said, oh, wait, never mind, I will do it anyway. And then they sort of did a half measure. But what the young woman was saying that you played the, what the, the, did the TikTok video, I think this is a real issue for young people. And candidates from both sides of the aisle have to figure out some sort of message for them. What is the future? What is the hope? There was a time when paying off your debt was a source of pride and relief. Ain't. 
that way now. Nobody wants to pay it off. Oh, I, I, I know. I wanted to go to college so bad. I thought I needed it to get along, and and we didn't have the money for me to go to that school, so they they gave me this plan. And boy, they paid for everything: books, room and board, classes, the whole thing. And I had the best time. It took me a year or so to figure out that you know I wasn't really cut for the college deal, but I went one more year to see. And now they tell me I didn't finish college. I'm struggling to get a job. I had to move back in with mom and dad, and they want me to pay that debt. They should have never given me that money. It's their fault. And you know what? I've heard that played over and over and over again on multiple video channels, news channels. And Joe Biden and his administration, they're dangling the carrot up there. And what for? What could be the reason? Do you think that Joe Biden has this massive heart for everybody in their debt for going to school? You think that's what he did it? Why didn't he do it on the first day of his administration? Well, he was already elected. He didn't need to try to reach out to people and buy their votes. But he's struggling now. He's not looking good in the polls. So Joe's got to get out there and buy those votes back. And how do you do that? You take the taxpayer's money and illegally, (laughs) illegally, Tell people and then try to do it that you're going to pay their debts for them even after the Supreme Court of the United States says a president can't do that. And he brags about it. (laughs) Does anybody talk to him about substantive issues? And does he ever act like he's cognizant when you do? I can't believe anybody in their right mind would take these actions and then brag about it, especially when it's illegal. But remember this, to Joe Biden, to most of those in this administration and others of the Democrat Party ilk that aren't in the administration but are attached to it ancillarily or they're getting a paycheck or whatever, They not only are in the middle of this, they love it. They don't care if it's authoritarian. They don't care if it violates a rule of law. As long as we, the people, let them continue to do it, they're going to keep on trucking. And they don't really care when they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Why? Because they're Democrats. Democrats are in control of everything, right? Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. 
cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin', bacon and cheddar, or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Our puppy's okay. He's a shooting star, okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now. Uh, okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride, okay? Okay. Oh, yeah, kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's... Okay! Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Like a little John. Okay! I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay! The Truth and Dan Newman. Goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. I want to circle back for a minute. I told you, Cheryl Atkinson, she's been around in news and opinion reporting for many years. She's really good at what she does. She is not politically partisan in any way. I know which is very, very unusual in real media circles, but she kind of toes that line pretty closely. She got into a conversation about the free speech and the attack on every American by our own government regarding free speech. She made some very salient points. I was listening to some of this late last night, and I came across this, and it shocked me so much. It just made me stand up because of the content of some of the things she had to say. I knew it was right down your lane. Cheryl Atkinson. We begin with one of the most heated controversies of our time, the battle to control our information. Our government, federal agencies, and media have grown more heavy-handed than ever, going so far as to smear and cancel opponents and censor true information they just don't like. The battles have played out on social media and on the Internet, and in presidential politics. For the first time ever, the courts have now determined that the White House and top American agencies violated free speech tenets at the very heart of the U.S. Constitution. Today, we're off to Missouri to hear from a key figure in the landmark case. How important do you see this case in terms of a free speech case. This is the most important First Amendment case in a generation. I mean, the, the Andrew Bailey is Attorney General for Missouri, which filed the landmark censorship lawsuit against the Biden administration. In July of 2021, President Biden made an unprecedented accusation. He said social media companies were killing people if they allowed what the government deemed to be COVID misinformation that often turned out to be true. They're killing people. 
I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And and they're they're killing people. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki added that government officials were coordinating with social media companies to block certain content. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. Can you kind of summarize the genesis of the challenge? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jen Psaki from the White House uh, press secretary's podium uh, established and, and committed to making sure that big tech social media were clamping down on misinformation, malinformation, uh, information essentially that the White House didn't like. And so that that piqued everyone's interest. And, and we began to realize very quickly that there was a coercive and collusive relationship between the White House across a spectrum of federal bureaucratic agencies with their cronies and woke big tech social media corporations. Here in Missouri, they've partnered with the state of Louisiana to not only challenge the past actions of the Biden administration, but also to get an order to permanently block the government from similar censorship activities, along with a mechanism to monitor and enforce it. Under the lawsuit process known as Discovery, Missouri and Louisiana have been able to get tens of thousands of pages of previously secret documents from the Biden administration. And we have specific emails where the White House is targeting conservative voices and silencing conservative voices on big tech social media in violation of the First Amendment. There were also documents showing White House Digital Director Flaherty scolding Facebook, saying that he really couldn't care less about products unless they're having a measurable impact at suppressing speech. When you say products, he's probably talking about tools being used by Facebook. Can you explain more about that email? Yeah, that might be one of the most frightening emails we've uncovered because what it's saying is big tech social media saying, well, the, the speech that the White House is targeting doesn't actually violate big tech social media's left wing censorship priorities. And the White House pushed them further. So again, that just establishes the coercive and collusive relationship between the White House and unelected federal bureaucrats and their their cronies and woke big tech social media corporations. Maybe one of the most alarming ones to people who believe in free speech and think that some of the censorship is off base. In an email, Facebook assured the White House's Flaherty that In addition to removing what they considered vaccine misinformation, we've been focused on reducing the virality of content discouraging vaccines that does not contain actionable misinformation, including often true content. That seems to be admission that they were purposefully censoring true, truthful information. That's absolutely right. They're trying to achieve a a policy objective, a social objective, and they're going to coerce big tech social media and and to go further than the corporation's uh, natural uh, left-leaning censorship policies. And it's the White House doing it. Other startling evidence of government censorship has emerged. After Elon Musk bought Twitter, he released internal documents revealing the FBI and other agencies pressuring Twitter to ban and censor accounts. The Biden administration also created an Orwellian titled Disinformation Governance Board to crack down further on speech it didn't like. Appointed to head the agency was Nina Jankowicz, a Ukrainian government advisor who falsely claimed that reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. And she made a quirky video that raised eyebrows. When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine Or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain They're laundering disinfo and we really should take note And not support their lies with our wallet, voice or vote Oh, information 
Jankowitz and her disinformation governance board were abandoned after criticism from both parties. This year, on the 4th of July, the judge in the Missouri lawsuit temporarily banned certain federal officials from colluding with social media while the full case was being decided. Judge Terry Doty wrote, The evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario. During the COVID-19 pandemic, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. And although the censorship alleged in this case almost exclusively targeted conservative speech, the issues raised herein go beyond party lines. The right to free speech is not a member of any political party and does not hold any political ideology. A three-judge federal appeals court recently agreed the Biden administration ran afoul of the First Amendment and blocked the White House, Surgeon General, CDC, and FBI from violating free speech rights by coercing social media companies to take down posts the government doesn't like. Defendants and their employees and agents shall take no actions to coerce or significantly encourage social media companies to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce including through altering their algorithms, posted social media content containing protected free speech, reads the decision. There is an argument where people say, social media, they're private companies, they can do what they like, it doesn't amount to censorship. What's your response to that? Well, we we reject that, and certainly the courts have rejected that as well. Let's put it in perspective here. If you picked up your cell phone and made a call and were talking to somebody about a political issue and the cell phone company didn't like it and they started muting you when you were saying things they didn't like, would anyone stand for that? Would anyone accept that? Certainly not. That's what big tech social media does when they censor. But what I'm talking about here and what this case has exposed is infinitely worse because the censorship is the, the muting essentially is being done at the behest of the federal government. The Missouri versus the Biden administration lawsuit continues with the state seeking a permanent ban of government collusion with social media to censor. This is unbelievably still happening every day. Do do you understand what that means, that it is still going on? That means no matter what the courts have said, no matter what the United States Supreme Court has said, just like Biden and his student debt cancellation. The Supreme Court tells him you can't do that. Not only does he thumb his nose at the Supreme Court, he gets on television, gets before a big crowd, and he brags that I decided I was going to cancel student debt and the Supreme Court said I couldn't do it. Well, guess what? I went ahead and did it. Ha, ha, ha. Government is not the place where government has to be run. If there are no exclusions, no limits, no accountability for any of the wrongdoing of anybody in government, or even if there are a few that get their hands slapped, but they don't get held accountable for doing illegal things, Why in the world do the American people believe we will ever have any freedoms in this nation if we allow the government to control them all? Spending money like they want to. Kicking people into jail. Kicking people out of jail. Not based upon the rule of law, 
but on the fact I feel sorry for these people. They shouldn't be in jail. Our governor last week pardoned 51 murderers. The Louisiana governor, 51 murderers. Some of them were first degree. Most of them were first degree and second degree. In Louisiana, second degree murder comes with an automatic life sentence without parole. The only difference between first and second degree murder here is premeditation. Pre, premeditation. In other words, plotting to go kill somebody. That's the only difference. Fifty-one people who murdered are now walking the streets of Louisiana. How does that comport with the rule of law and what our forefathers were planning on this country being about? Taking control of everything away from the government that they came from Europe to get away from, taking it back, giving it to the people. And now the government is taking it all back. And they don't even want us to be talking about it publicly. You can think what you want, but just don't talk about it to anybody else. How do you think we stayed the greatest country on the planet all these years? It's because we had freedom to think, express our ideals, vote for people that we want to represent us in government and really allow them and demand they represent us, we the people. That's the principles that made America what it has been. And sadly, you and I are the, we're watchers, we're the witnesses. The government's taking it away. The American people are allowing that to happen. Do you know who Catherine Herridge is? She's a CBS investigative correspondent. She for years was at Fox News. And uh, she did some investigative correspondence work at Fox, but they didn't they didn't do a lot of that. They still don't do as much as some of the other big uh, media networks do. CBS, they brought her in, and she this week has shared her dark predictions for 2024. She's always been known for objective and measured reporting, which today is a real rarity and a feat in this day and age. Herridge's ominous forecast for the year ahead hit a nerve with a bunch of concerned Americans. So in a clip from Face the Nation, Herridge told viewers she was concerned that 2024 may not be the year that we thought it was going to be. It may be the year of a black swan event. Here's what she said. Carriage predicts in 2024, the U.S. may have a national security event with high impact that's very hard to predict. She pointed to ongoing wars, U.S. division as factors creating fertile ground for our adversaries like North Korea, China, and Iran to take advantage of. Now, what's a black swan event? It's usually interpreted as a surprise occurrence that has widespread and major effects. And Harridge went on to explain in a little more detail about what she's talking about. She said, this is a national security event with high impact, so it's very hard to predict. There are a number of concerns that I have that factors into that. She talked about the nation's enduring heightened threat level, 
along with the wars in Israel and Ukraine, also playing a role in her prediction. We're so divided in this country, she said, in ways that we haven't seen before, and I think that just creates fertile ground for our adversaries like North Korea, China, and Iran. And that's what concerns me most. What was missing was the elephant in the room, also known as the United States southern border. Didn't come up in conversation. With so-called sanctuary cities begging for a halt to the endless influx of illegals and illegal border crossers on the terror watch list, ready to hit a new record, it's not unfathomable to imagine some sort of seismic or other catastrophic event. Add to that, many political pundits have predicted doomsday scenarios if former President Trump's adversaries right here in the U.S. succeed in keeping him off the 2024 ballot. Needless to say, with the world on fire and the U.S. borders invaded every day, Herridge's prediction rang home for many people. They agreed with the longtime journalist, Douglas Pixie. He said this, sometimes something so big it could compromise our elections maybe? I got a bad feeling too, Catherine. So tell me, do you know something the rest of us don't? Are you getting the narrative set up for something that is coming? Black Swan event? Andreas said, Black Swan, as in the U.S., is vulnerable because of our weak president who just further divided the country and Democrats who are playing footsie with extremists? Moose tweeted, No mention of the wide-open southern border amongst her concerns. Woke societies. Funny how these black swan events happen whenever there's an election in the United States. Marsha Gibson Huberger, Just watch the videos of people pouring into the country. Doesn't take a a genius to predict this. And somebody just calls himself me. Well, I don't know. Maybe with the swarms of people coming across our border from countries on watch lists and just walking into middle America could become an issue. Some folks believe her words were part of the media's fear-mongering tactics for clicks and views. Sounds like people are being programmed to believe that something terrible is about to happen and that something will surely have an effect on how the election is run, or maybe not even run, if there is a national emergency in place. So it can't be run. You know what? That could happen. That could happen if the Biden administration, and think about how wide and deep it is and how many very powerful people work within the entire administration and what departments they represent, and the things that they, and the infrastructure they have in place to control things and people and circumstances, I could see a scenario. I would hate to see it, and I'm not predicting it would. I could see a scenario where they would say, there's too much confusion going on. There's too much misunderstanding. There's so much evil. We can't have this election right now. We're going to put it on hold for six months or a year. I can see them trying to do that. Well, if if they did that, the American people would revolt. Would we? I would hope so. 
But I don't necessarily have the confidence that we the people have enough chutzpah to stand up and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not happening. If they continued and pushed right through that, even if the American people in mass protested, got out after it, started doing all kinds of things, saying it loud, getting everyone's attention, do you think they would back off of it? Have you ever seen the government back off of anything that it decided was what they were going to do? Forget about what any regular American that's not a politician thinks about it. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm trying to make people think objectively. We all need to. I don't have an exclusive on that. Believe me, I'm not that smart a man. I look at these members. Here's, let me give you my personal feelings on something. I look at the people in Congress and I, I interact with a lot of people in Congress. You know that. And I get varying opinions. And it's uncanny to me when I speak to Republicans, both sides, Senate, House, other government officials today, in almost every conversation, they know what we do here. They know what I do. They know I'm very conservative. They know I believe that government's getting out of hand, overreach, that we're in a dangerous area. And they're all part of that too. We, you and me, we need to understand they're in the same boat. If we're in the boat regarding our government, regarding what goes on and how it operates, we're in the boat with them. And just imagine if you had the responsibilities in your life that they have. They have the same ones most of us have. But on top of that, they've got a bunch of other ones and involved in each and every one of those is what can we say about this What can we do about it? And how will it be perceived by the people we represent in our congressional districts and states? And what will happen to us if big media and big government disagree? It's easy for me to say, it wouldn't matter to me. I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to speak my mind. That's a bold statement to make. But let me tell you this. I'm sitting in my studio, northwest Louisiana. What would I do if there was a knock on the front door? Forget about that. If they just burst through the front door, armed to the T, and drug me out and came up with some trumped-up card about I was inciting people by saying things on this show. If I thought that was a possibility and really... It is a possibility. We are now seeing far too many people that are receiving that kind of treatment for doing something that isn't even real. A guy and his family, early in the morning, this guy, they went to an abortion clinic with his children. They quietly prayed on the sidewalk. They didn't block anybody from gaining access but they prayed quietly for the babies that were being aborted. The FBI, no notice, all in SWAT gear, break down his front door, 
scare him and his kids to death. They arrest him, throw him in jail. And a local judge had that particular case. Somebody filed a charge against that family for doing that. And they wouldn't even prosecute it. But the feds get involved in it, and it goes to federal courts. It becomes a nationwide issue. It was a jury trial. He was exonerated 100% by the jury in a matter of just minutes. What does that say to you? Well, first of all, yeah, we've got some nuts out there in the federal government. We sure do. They are getting where more and more and more, they don't care about the rule of law. Whoever's pulling the strings in Washington doesn't care about the First Amendment. They hate the Second Amendment because both of those give the power of the people to the people that cannot be abridged by our government. And they want to laugh. They want to diminish what the First and Second Amendments mean and what they were there for because those people that wrote those came from nations where this was being done even more dramatically to them every day in their lives, and they wanted to go to a free country in which the people control the country and the government works for the people. And they felt it was incumbent. They had to specifically identify what rights were never part of the federal government, would never be. They were always going to be owned by the people. And so they broke them out, 10 different ones. And we call it the Declaration of Independence and our Bill of Rights and our Constitution all rolled rolled into one big promise for all future Americans. That very act, that very process is under siege right now. Not going to go anymore down that road not trying to scare anybody. I just want you to think. I want you to think. Meanwhile, ICE is back in business again. I didn't even know they were still in operation. I thought the Biden administration had handcuffed them. They can't do anything but check people in that run across the southern border. One successful operation from ICE proved the ongoing danger from this administration's border mismanagement. As more than two dozen illegal alien sexual predators were arrested out in California. Borders are Vice President Kamala Harris. She may have put politics ahead of national sovereignty, but in the week leading up to Christmas, agents from ICE endeavored to remove convicted sex offenders from the United States. Last Thursday, after completing a two-day operation that started December 18th, concluded on December 20th, ICE's Enforcement and Removal Operations Los Angeles reported the arrest of 26, quote, removable non-citizens convicted of sex offenses and that pose a serious threat to public statement. 26. That sounds like a lot of arrests, a lot of those people, right? You put that in perspective of we know at least 8 million 
illegals have flooded across our border while Joe Biden was president. How many more of these sex offenders, the people that governments from Central and South American nations and nations around the world, they didn't want them in their country. Hey, let's ship them over, put them in the United States, and we'll turn a few of these, a few hundred of these into terrorists. And we'll send them over there and get them ready and waiting for us to activate something bad to portray against the American people. I'm just supposing it only took 17 to drop the Twin Towers on 9-11. Remember that? Only 17. 200 plus people on our terrorist watch list have been identified among those. How many, all those illegals that are coming in here, how many of those that we don't know about are here? And what are they here for? A statement from Los Angeles Field Office Director Thomas Giles said the outcome of this operation exemplifies the professionalism, dedication, and commitment of ERO, that's ISIS enforcement and removal operation. Their commitment, the officers did, because of their commitment to public safety. Removing these individuals and the threats they represent from our communities is our mission. We will continue to safely and effectively enforce the immigration laws of our nation. At the behest of President Biden, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has prioritized enforcement actions. Yeah, right. Under the guidelines for the enforcement of civil immigration law, a focus on illegal aliens that pose a risk to public safety and or national security. Under those guidelines, the recent arrest included in Los Angeles, a 19-year-old citizen of El Salvador was convicted by the Superior Court of California of felony sexual forcible oral copulation of a minor over 14 and battery by restraint. In L.A., a 40-year-old citizen of Mexico was convicted by the Superior Court of California of felony lewd acts with a child and continuous sexual abuse. In L.A., a 35-year-old citizen of Guatemala was convicted by the Superior Court of California of felony child molestation in an inhabited dwelling. And those on the left demonize conservatives. And they don't like this. Drawing attention to rapists and murderers among the waves of illegals entering the United States. That ERO reported in fiscal year 2022, they arrested 46,396 of these people with criminal histories. This group had 198,497 associated charges and convictions, including 21,000 assault offenses, 8,164 sex and sexual assault offenses, 55, excuse me, 5,554 weapon offenses, 1,501 homicide-related officials offenses, 1,500 murders, 1,114 kidnapping offenses. 
And that's just one sampling of one of 50 states. That's okay with the American people? Where are we in this? Meanwhile, the vice president, who'd been assigned the responsibility of handling the border crisis, announced today prior to that operation in California that she would be putting her focus on a fight for our reproductive freedom tour, traveling the country to promote, I don't know any other way to say it, but killing unborn babies. That's what her tour is about. In addition to the more than two dozen arrests in last week's operation, ERO had highlighted some of the other callers from December that included convicted rapists from Brazil, said to have entered the country back in 2018, who was taken into custody December 5th, as well as the removal of Felipe Javier Rivero Blanca by ERO in Philadelphia. Rivero was better known to American baseball fans as former Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Felipe Vasquez. He'd been convicted of statutory sexual assault and other crimes against a minor under the age of 16, along with the possession of child sexual abuse material. Border Patrol had admitted Rivero to the United States in June of 2017. He went on to be arrested in September of 2019. How many more of those are there? And the fact that you and I both know the answer is the travesty in all this. We don't have any idea. We can only guess. And that's what's going to be continually the answer to that question because this administration has no inclination whatsoever to enforce the rule of law when it comes to our southern border. They don't give a rip anymore. They want to let everybody in. And they don't care what those people bring with them. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. (laughs) And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it. For a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? 
When you choose a great-tasting Miller Lite, you're choosing on taste. And that's the right choice, not the wrong choice. Because right is way better than wrong. You don't try to do the wrong thing. Wrong on, brother? Back off, and I don't even know you. If someone asks you if everything's all wrong, ask them to pull your finger. Ever read the Bill of Wrongs? It was written by James Baddison and John Saddams. Drawing a wrong triangle? Place this protractor at 90 degrees and sit on it. What's wrong around the corner? An 8-foot ex-con named Tiny, and he wants your wallet. That's wrong up your alley. Just like the drifter feeding moldy muffin stumps to his 13 hairless cats. Got a wrong hand man? I've got a cousin named Randall with clammy hands. The customer's always wrong? Well, that explains the waiter's creepy grin as I ate my toast. Two wrongs do make a wrong. Am I wrong? Wrong. So don't make the wrong choice. Make the right choice. And choose on taste. Triple hops brewed Miller Lite. Taste greatness. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Great beer. Great responsibility. You know, all of this egregious stuff that we're watching unfold every day across the nation. Here's what I'm telling all of you, and I tell myself the same thing. Don't grow numb to it. Don't normalize any of this and make it okay. Ah, those people, they just want to make a better life for them and their families. You do realize there's a way to get this done legally. Who? How are we going to do that, Dan? Well, it's called a law. We have multiple federal immigration laws, and I keep reminding all of our listeners that every year for decades, the United States has allowed legal immigrants to come to this nation in numbers that surpass each year all of the immigrants that are allowed to immigrate legally into every other country on the planet. We average a million a year legally. Going through the process, we know who they are. We know what their backgrounds are. We know where they're going to be, what they're going to be doing. They comport with the rule of law. One million each year. None of the problems that we're talking about would happen if this president, would simply enforce federal immigration laws, many of which he was part of crafting, voting on, and getting them signed into law during his tenure in the Senate. And the next thing you're going to hear is another egregious action by then-Senator, U.S. Senator Joe Biden. Do you know who John Cornyn is? John Cornyn is a senator himself, and he decided he was going to weigh into some of this horrible partisanship that tries to denigrate all of the so-called conservative U.S. Supreme Court justices, specifically big number one, Clarence Thomas. Now, if that was the other way around, if there was one black, just one black U.S. Supreme Court justice that was supposedly a Democrat. And anybody in the nation, they would make it always be a, you know, a MAGA extremist if they disagreed or said anything that could even remotely be considered racist. 
they would devour, they being the left, would devour anyone that said anything. But I want to remind every one of you, this all didn't just happen. It wasn't just recently that Clarence Thomas started uh, dealing with these cries for him to be excluded from considering some of the cases that come before him. They hate him. They hate his wife. And you know why they do? She's come out for some conservative causes. She actually publicly stated who she voted for in the last election and the one before that. (laughs) I guess basically they want Republicans to abandon (laughs) all their ideology at election time and just pull a lever for whoever the Democrats are running for whatever it is. I, I know it's crazy. But anyway, John Cardinan, Back when Clarence Thomas was appointed or nominated to be a U.S. Supreme Court justice, there was a nasty attack on multiple levels across this nation by Democrats and people that concocted horrible stories against him. One was supposedly coming from, and it came from her, I don't know if she put it all together, but an African-American young woman who had worked with Clarence Thomas and it was some horrible allegations made against him. No proof was ever founded to sustain any of those things, but the process was extremely ugly, very visible nationwide. And it, no doubt, was in large part initiated because he's black. And who led that cause? Who was in charge of the Senate Judiciary Committee the chairman of that committee, and that's where every nominee to any federal court comes through to be considered and eventually confirmed to serve in those federal judge positions as well as the U.S. Supreme Court. Now President Joe Biden. John Cornyn in a hearing, I hadn't heard or seen this for a long time, but he played just one segment And the first person you're going to hear speak here is our current president, Joe Biden. Listen to this back and forth. Committee will please come to order. Judge, tough day, tough night for you, I know. Let me uh, ask, do you have anything you'd like to say before we begin? I understand that uh, your preference is, uh, which is totally and completely understandable, that we go one hour tonight. 30 minutes on each side. Is Am I correct in that? That's right. Do you have anything you'd like to say? Senator, I would like to start by saying unequivocally, uncategorically, that I deny each and every single allegation against me today that suggested in any way that I had conversations of a sexual nature or about pornographic material with Anita Hill, that I ever attempted to date her, that I ever had any personal sexual interest in her, or that I in any way ever harassed her. A second, and I think more important point, I think that this today is a travesty. I think that it is disgusting. I think that this hearing should never occur in America. 
This is a case in which this sleaze, this dirt, was searched for by staffers of members of this committee, was then leaked to the media, and this committee and this body validated it and displayed it at prime time over our entire nation. How would any member on this committee, any person in this room, or any person in this country would like sleaze said about him or her in this fashion? Or this dirt dredged up in this gossip and these lies displayed in this manner? How would any person like it? The Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for my name, my family, my life, and my integrity. I think something is dreadfully wrong with this country when any person, any person in this free country would be subjected to this. This is not a closed room. There was an FBI investigation. This is not an opportunity to talk about difficult matters privately or in a closed environment. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching. Senator that was 32 years ago. And um, I'm reminded as I get older that not everybody's had the same experience or memories that I have. That was one of the searing memories, memories, memories that I've had about Supreme Court confirmation hearings, and I think provides an important context for today's hearing. The truth is that, as Senator Kennedy said, starting perhaps with Senator with the with the Bork nomination, that members of the United States Supreme Court, when they've been nominated for the job, have been subjected to relentless campaigns of harassment and intimidation, which, as Justice Alito recently pointed out, can lead not just to uh, intemperate attacks like the Senate Majority Leader made against Senator Gorsuch and Senator, excuse me, uh, Judge Gorsuch and Judge Kavanaugh by name back in 2020. It can lead unstable individuals to decide that they are going to conduct an assassination of these members of the Supreme Court. So things have gotten terribly out of hand. Judge McCasey, um, you and Mr. Dupree both talked about the separation of powers. I looked back at the rules of the United States Senate, our ethics rules by which we are governed and um, they are rules that are set by the Senate itself. How do you think the Senate would react if the United States Supreme Court said, we don't like the ethics code of senators or members of the House of Representatives? Would the same principle of separation of powers 
and co-equal branches of government apply in that circumstance? Yes, of course it would, Senator. The, the, this body sets the rules for uh, its conduct uh, and the same way that the court sets the rules for its conduct, and the executive uh, in the person of the president and the vice president set the rules for theirs. Um, that's not to say that laws of general application don't apply. Of course they apply. Um, but when you're talking about the particular rules relating to a particular branch of government, those are set by that branch of government. Mr. Dupree? I agree with Judge Mukasey, and I would add, Senator, in response to your question about the importance of the separation of powers, I think it's important to underscore that the separation of powers is not some sort of academic concept that was invented by law professors. This is a concept that is structurally baked into our Constitution, and the framers viewed as absolutely crucial to preserving not just the independence of each branch and ensuring that the judiciary could act independently, but also to preserve freedom and individual liberty. And so the, the things we're discussing today obviously have you know practical consequence in terms of granular information about data and disclosure and the like but at the end of the day what's really on the table is a concept that is absolutely fundamental to our constitutional structure and must be preserved i think uh, justice scalia pointed out among others senator's that time has expired minutes ago senator lee Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thanks to each of you for being here. As we heard quoted moments ago, uh, when Justice Thomas was in this room, in front of this committee, nearly 32 years ago, he had some observations about his confirmation proceedings, and he described those proceedings as, quote, a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. He then described the consequences for doing those things. Quote, you'll be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. Now more than three decades later, that observation remains tragically relevant. Today's hearing and the radical left's continued attacks on Justice Thomas and his wife, Jenny, over the last 31 and a half years are part of a sustained, hateful attempt to discredit an honest man and a principled jurist. The left, you see, can't tolerate, it cannot accept the fact that one of our greatest American success stories, that of a humble citizen who rose from poverty in the segregated South to become not only one of the Supreme Court, Supreme Court's longest-serving justices, but also one of the most influential jurists our country has ever known, is the story of a black man who happens to be conservative. finish to that interview testimony House, excuse me, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. Looking back, it's what happened 30-some years ago when 
we supposedly were colorblind in America. Remember, we went through slavery. We went through all of that. And ever since we got on the right side of slavery, no, it did not constitute flipping a switch one day and slavery disappearing. It has been a process. I've said this often. Racism is not something that is passed along through heredity. It's not biological. It's a learned piece of behavior. And you can eliminate some of the outcomes that come through racism of every kind. You can diminish it some. Over a period of time, it gets less and less and less. Thank God for that. But the answer to get rid of racism is not racism. It's stupid to think some of the smartest people on this planet would be the very ones that would propagate an idea in this Judiciary Committee hearing, an idea that the way to get rid of racism is to be racism. There are are many people in the nation that say, hey, whites were racist against blacks for so many years. Now, to fix it, we've got to let African-American people instigate racism against white people. That's the most ludicrous example of trying to get rid of stuff that we need to get rid of is to authorize another sector of the society to do the same things against those who have been uh, accused of doing the same thing. And yet we're seeing this happen in 2023 in the United States of America among one of the most important social entities in the nation, the United States Senate Judiciary Committee. That's the place where everything that goes into law starts or it finishes there in every case. These are the people that are the ones that are supposed to represent the ideals of the American people and the population. And then I remember when Clarence Thomas went through that, when Anita Hill sat in that same room and testified about horrible, egregious circumstances that most logical people because none of the allegations were hidden when they allegedly happened. It was happening in offices with people around. Nobody could confirm the allegations whatsoever, but they were out to lynch Clarence Thomas. And then now, because of political partisanship, the left have decided it's time to get rid of Clarence Thomas again for political reasons, allegations, and stuff that has nothing to do with Justice Thomas himself. And don't tell me it's not because he's black. Don't tell me that. It's not bad enough for Clarence Thomas to be African-American, but he's a Republican, he's a conservative, and we got to do away with those people. And don't think I'm making a funny when I say that There are millions of people on the left, political ideologists, that think the cure 
for almost every one of our ills as a nation is conservatism. How could any reasonable thinking human being look at this administration in just three years, not even yet three, almost three years of Joe Biden and his political stuff that he has foisted on all of us, how could anybody think it's been done democratically when almost every one of the egregious activities that he has instigated himself, top down, yeah, he's had to get collusion from others in Congress to get some of the things done, but he's never hesitated to fill the blogosphere with executive orders and those things that he knows he couldn't get passed through Congress. And here's how he justifies it. I'm going to go ahead and issue the executive order, instigate it, get it going. It'll take years for them to overturn the executive order. And by then, all the damage I was going to do will already be done. Dozens and dozens of instances like that that have nothing to do with the rule of law. Tell me where in the Constitution exists the process of executive orders. Where does it where does it show up in the Constitution? Who makes the rules up there? Uh, the members of the House and the Senate. They're the ones that do all of these things on the side. They say it's to kind of fill in the gaps. We don't have the laws that say we should or we shouldn't do this or that. That's not what their job is. They're supposed to fill in by passing laws, not by writing things that they use as executive order substance so that a president can just forget about the rule of law, forget about the law, forget about the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate and what their role in government is supposed to be, and they're supposed to do it together with each other? No, no, no. If you got a Republican in the White House, hey, you don't have to go to Congress. Just write an executive order. Let's use the Bidenism. Let's do what we want to do. Let's spend money that we want to spend. Let's tell people we're going to give them this and give them that. Even when we know it can't be done legally, Oh, and let's open up the southern border, trample all over immigration law that we, the people's representatives, put in place to craft and instigate those laws, and they did, but we don't like them now. So let's just ignore them. This is a scary place we find ourselves living in, folks. And it's it's just... It's, it's assaulting every area of our lives. Example. Now, this is not in the United States, but this is over here. And one of our allies, one of our biggest allies, we learn overnight free menstrual products are now available in Canadian Parliament men's bathrooms, including the military at airports. Free menstrual products. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, only one thing, one reason he would do this. He's pandering to transgenders and leftists in Canada. No other explanation for it makes any sense. Their new policy mandates all federally regulated employers, every one of them, which includes military bases, airports. They got to provide menstrual products in all bathrooms, regardless of gender, absolutely free. 
It requires that a notice be placed on the door of the restroom as well. News of this policy change spread across Canada like wildfire after former Canadian conservative Senator Linda Frum posted a photo of a basket offering free pads and tampons inside a men's bathroom for transgender members of parliament. That set off a firestorm online. Back in the day when only women menstruated, we had to pay for our own products. But now that men menstruate too, these products as of this week are mandated to be free in all men's washrooms in all federal workplaces, including Parliament, where this photo was taken today. That was a, a, a message on the bottom of a photo taken by from Linda from conservative senator in Canada. Where's the meat and substance of life that we're dealing with in our government? I just don't get it. And I'm not a fear monger, but let me say this. I promise you, in our near future, we are going to deal with the results of the seed that this government and these American people have sown regarding every one of these issues we talked about today. It's never going to exist in a vacuum. We have 8 million, let's call it 10 million, because we got a couple of million gotaways. We don't know who came across the border. We don't know who these people are. We know what they're doing in large part, and it's not good. But how many more people get slaughtered? How many more people have to die because of the fentanyl and other chemical poisons that these people are bringing with them across our southern border. How many kids have come across the border from parents in Central and South America and other countries around the world with hopes that they're going to get a better life for their kids? And those kids have disappeared. Generations of those family lines are gone forever. All of that comes at a price, every bit of it. Wow. I hate to end on a bad note, but I got to say thank you. Thank you for today. Have a good one. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. See you then. Some say that